Well, please do take a seat and um, a very good evening to you. Welcome to our very first Equip. Uh, my name's Rob. We may not have met. I'm the rector here at St. Mary's. And um, it is a delight to take you through this subject. Uh, just to set up the plan of what we're going to do, this is um, a seminar format. If that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry. You'll pick it up as we go along. But the idea is it's kind of interactive, okay? So we're going to try and do that with about sort of 130 people and people online. Uh, that means there's a chance for you to ask questions, and you'll see that there's a link. Uh, scan the QR code at the top of the page, or in the footnote, there's a link to the URL, and you'll be able to ask questions as we go along, and I'll seek to answer those. Um, it also means I wonder if we could just ask people to do the read-ins as we go along. And if you don't want to, don't worry, but I'm going to give it to Rupert Shelley for, first, for the first read-in. <laughs> um, just pass it to someone who looks willing after you've done a reading, but we'll just do the readings together, if that's okay. And all you'll need is a Bible, a pen, and uh, the handout in front of you. But as we begin this first session, I've got a little task for you. One to do alone, so no discussion. Okay, don't break it out in a sweat if this reminds you of school. Uh, <laughs> um, that sentence at the top of the page, if you've done this before, keep stum. Uh, but for everyone else... Uh, a task alone, you've got about 10 seconds to do it. Can you count the number of Fs in that sentence highlighted in orange? Go. Five seconds. I think that's enough time. Okay, um, how many did we get? Four? Five? Six? Seven. Seven. Well, okay, uh, hands up if you've got, a th you got one, two, three. Yeah, lots of threes. Fours? Quite a few fours. Fives? A few fives. Sixes? Seven? Wow. I think threes win it, so that is the answer. Uh, just intrigued. Um, anyone, could you share a seven? So we've got... So we've got one finished, two files of three. Scientific, four. So combined with the... Five. Where's the other F? I can't see number six. Where was I? There's three odds. Three odds. Okay, right. <laughs> Sorry. I can assure you there's six there. There's three ofs, um, and there's scientific and finished files. Now, <laughs> what that illustration is, uh, what that example is meant to illustrate is it's very easy to miss what's right in front of you, isn't it? Um, I even missed it when I knew the answer. I couldn't find <laughs> the sixth F. Um, and what I want to suggest is that there's something of that in this subject we're looking at this evening. Uh, it is a phrase um, we're going to see that is so uh, familiar with us, we, we miss it. It's all over the Bible. So here's a couple of examples on your handout. Uh, to God's holy people... In Ephesus, 
the faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, Or the next one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And I don't you're like me, but there's a sense of that kind of finished files example where you just go, oh yeah, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. doesn't really mean much. It's another way of describing a Christian. But actually, as we're going to see, uh, that in Christ is very deliberate. In fact, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention the word Christian at all, but he uses this phrase in Christ almost all over his writing. In fact, in the New Testament, it pops up over 600 times, would you believe? Uh, So it is a key idea, not only in the Apostle Paul, but across the New Testament. But the question is, is it like the kind of Finnish Files example? Does it really matter if we don't count the right number of Fs? I mean, we feel a bit foolish when we find out the answer. Uh, But actually, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Why does this idea in Christ matter as much as I think it does. Well, we're going to see that every benefit of what it means to be a Christian is found in this idea of union with Christ. And to kick us off with that, I want us to go into groups. Um, Sorry, I didn't warn you, did I? But it's going to be group work tonight. So uh, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And if someone gets there first, could you shout out a page number? 1173. 1173. Well done. Bonus marks at the front here. And Rupert, I don't know, would you mind, sorry to put you on the spot, have you got a version we've got? <laughs> That's fine. We're, we're, um, could you read... Sorry, verses 3 to 10, please. Of Ephesians 1. Of Ephesians 1, yeah. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Thank you very much. Just in groups, um, if the table's a bit big, split into two or three, um, just note down all the benefits you can see that come because believers are in Christ. Let's have a couple of minutes on that. Thank you.
Okay, let's come back there. Now, um, hands up if you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wow, great. Um, let's just very quickly, we're just for the sake of our friends on Zoom, uh, we've got to speak into a mic, I'm afraid. Uh, but uh, just pop a hand up. Uh, who's going to kick us off? Benefits we see in Christ. Okay, we got, um, we're blessed in the heavenly realms. Uh, we're holy and blameless in his sight. Oh, just one. Just two. That's fine. We, you can have two. Um, I think we've got a whiteboard behind us. Um, so, blessed in the heavenly realms. And what was the second thing? Holy and blameless, yes. So, this idea of being holy, like God, uh, morally in his sight, sanctified, uh, is another word. Um, okay, uh, what about this side of rooms? Oh, we've got someone here, Jill. Uh, wisdom and understanding. Got wisdom and understanding. Can you give us a verse for that? Where's... Oh, I can. It's um, verse 8. Verse 8, yes. Yes, I think that is actually an in. So, yes, we can have that. Let's pop it on. It's great anyway. Um, <laughs> anything else? Yeah, we've got Alistair over here. Made known of his will, verse 9. Oh, so we've got knowledge, yes, in Christ. Yep, brilliant. Thank you. Sorry, I'm a bit slow there. Uh, let's go over this side, then we'll go to Rupert. Yeah? It's free. Sorry? It's free. It's free in Christ. Yes, brilliant. Thank you. Chosen. Chosen in Christ. Wow, yes, we could say a lot about that. Yeah, let's have one here. How many is that? Redeemed, redemption. Redeemed in Christ, brilliant, yeah. So brought back uh, in Christ from slavery, yeah. How many is that? Have we got one here, Jill? <laughs> Adopted. Adopted, oh, brilliant, yes. How do we miss yeah. that? Adopted, yes. And then Alex... Verse 10, it looks like everything is going to be in Christ one day. Well, bonus point there for <laughs> Alex at the back. Yes, everything's going to be brought into Christ, which we'll come back to. Yes, over here, I think we've got forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness. Thank you. That's a slightly different idea to redeem, so it's helpful to tease out. Someone's got that. Okay, I think we're done there. But can you see, I mean, it's only a few verses, but... All these blessings are linked to this idea of being in Christ. And uh, as Alex mentioned at the end, actually the whole of creation is pla uh, God's plan is to bring it all into Christ. Um, so uh, if we miss this idea of what it means to be in Christ, we're likely going to miss uh, those benefits. Now, um, I know there are a few keen cyclists here. 
And um, yeah, I, I've decided not to go out with them anymore. They're too quick for me. Uh, but there are a few keen cyclists. And the essential ingredient for a cycling is uh, a bike. And the essential ingredient for bikes are wheels. And um, you know, a bike wheel, it, it's, it's a beautiful piece of kit, really. You can spend hundreds of pounds on them. Uh, it's a hub uh, with loads of spokes off, and everything's in tension. And um, the, you can move the wheel according to uh, the tension in the spokes. Um, they're very exciting. Ask Steve Bentley afterwards uh, about how exciting wheels are. I'm sure he'll agree. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but uh, sorry, not Steve Bentley. Sorry, <laughs> the other Steve. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, and there's something of that in this, that actually the Christian life isn't just one spoke, if you like. Actually, there's a whole wheel of benefits of what it means to be in Christ, but actually they all come off this central hub of being in Christ. And we're going to think a bit more about that dynamic, but if you think of anything tonight, think of the bike wheel and think of actually everything comes off this hub, which is being in Christ. Um, Someone said, uh, I think Kevin DeYoung, there's a quote there on your handouts, uh, that union with Christ may be the most important doctrine you've never heard of. And um, I find that very helpful uh, indeed. But does it matter? So we've seen an example, haven't we, from Ephesians of lots of benefits that are in Christ, but actually does it have any practical benefit? And really, is this just one idea that pops up in Scripture? There's lots of ideas, but is it a big uh, thing to focus on? Uh, And we're going to turn to think about uh, a few... Uh, bits of, uh, we're going to have an overview of uh, what Scripture says on this subject uh, under that heading, A Significant Union. I think we can lose the whiteboard now. It's a shame, Uh, but um, let's switch that off. Great. Because there's a lot of ways we talk about being in something, don't we? Um, I... uh, I'm, when I'm forced to, to make small talk, I admit to being a United fan. I won't tell you which one, but a United fan. And often I'll talk about matches as kind of we, you know, we won 2-0. Uh, we were playing, uh, you know, Leeds or something. Uh, it's not Leeds. Uh, but it really, it doesn't mean anything, does it? I wasn't on the pitch. I wasn't even there in the stands. Uh, it's a kind of union that's very, very loose indeed. I mean, if you see my football skills, you'll know there's literally no contribution I'm making uh, as I'm watching on Match of the Day after the event. But we kind of speak about we in that sort of sense, and we might think that union with Christ is that kind of idea. Or we might think, that actually, this is just Paul's kind of hobby horse. Um, actually, he just likes this phrase, in Christ. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're going to look across the Bible, and we're going to see that actually this theme runs right from the beginning to the end. Uh, I wonder if you could turn to Genesis chapter 2. It is on page, if someone could give me a page, 4. Thank you. And if we could have someone read um, for us, that would be great. Thank you. If you could just read 2.18 and just hold on to the mic, because I'll get you to do some more in a moment. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God... Hang on, sorry, just hold your horses. We'll come back to... 
Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. So you'll know if you've looked at Genesis, there's this pattern that runs through. God declared it was, he saw, and it was good. 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 And this is the first point you get this kind of uh, twist in a narrative where actually we read that it was not good. This wonderful creation, actually there's something here that's not good. So it really stands out. Uh, And can you see what it is that's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. See, Adam is lacking something because of his solitude. Uh, The creation's wonderful, of course, but actually there's something missing here. And so God, we read, uh, says that I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, that word helper, um, it might sound derogatory. It's not meant to be derogatory. It's not a derogatory word. God's often described with this exact same word as Israel's helper. Um, And you'll notice that actually it's a helper that's suitable for him. Now, that phrase is literally the idea as if like in front of him. So it's a kind of complementary helper. It's like um, two poles on a magnet. Uh, There's not just, if you like, a kind of copy and paste Adam. It's not Adam 2.0. God makes a a like uh, person uh, for Adam to complement him. And so he creates woman, and then we read uh, in uh, verse 23, which I like to think of as the kind of world's first um, first dance after, you know, how couples get married, and then there's a first dance. Uh, I wonder if, uh, Tim, you could sing that, uh, read that to us. I will certainly, I won't sing it, but um, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. There we go. If you're getting married, there's one for your first dance. Uh, And I wonder if you could read verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Great. Thank you very much. So here we get this kind of narrative, and then we get the, the, the person writing the narrative jump in and say, um, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Um, so the author's jumping in and saying, like, by the way, here's... Uh, Here's why this kind of marriage thing happens, uh, because of what happened here. And you'll notice that it's not that they become the same. They become one flesh, but there's this wonderful balance, isn't there, of diversity and oneness. So they're not the same. He's made a helper like him, complementary to, but actually they are one flesh. And both those ideas are held together. So, you know, we could give... I'm sure for those of us married, give lots of examples of this. Me and Claire are quite different. She loves classical music. I love anything electronic. Our choices of music don't really overlap. She loves films that are in black and white. I can't stand black and white films. In fact, I don't really like a film unless it's got an alien invasion in it or some point. <laughs> and I guess more seriously, she thinks in a different way to me. She thinks about people... Uh, how people operate, I think more practically. I know it's a bit of a stereotype and it may not necessarily be that way round. And we come from different families with different values and that sort of thing. But as we get married, uh, that diversity doesn't disappear, but it becomes incorporated in this oneness as well. Two different people 
uh, join in together. So right at the beginning of creation, we see that there's this need for Adam not to be alone. And God does something about that in creating this union, because as we see, Adam then rejoices and the kind of creation is good. Now, I know the next question, if you haven't asked it, please do, because the next question will be, does this mean we need marriage? Is this the answer to our aloneness? Is this the big solution? Well, as we're going to see, that's not quite uh, what I'm saying here. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and if someone could give us a page, that'd be great. 1176. Yeah, someone, someone wouldn't mind reading who's happy. Thanks, Chisholm. Could you read verses 28, oh, chapter 5, sorry, 28 to 29 for now? In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the, the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Thank you very much. Um, anyone spot where that quote's from? Yes, you're laughing because hopefully it's pretty obvious. Uh, Genesis. Uh, but notice what Paul's talking about here. He's speaking about how husbands should love wives, the reason is because um, they're one flesh, and just as ordinarily we care for our own flesh, so ordinarily a husband should care uh, for their wife. But he doesn't stop there, does he? he? He goes on with verse 31 and gives us this reason from Genesis. He says, um, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he goes on to say, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, just, I'm just going to go a little bit quickly on this bit, so bear with me. But mystery in the New Testament isn't how we think about mystery. Uh, my kids, um, they've stopped doing it now, but they used to have this phrase, mystery. When anything went wrong, uh, like a towel was left on the floor, I'd say, who's done that? And they would go, it's a mystery. <laughs> no one knows. But the New Testament, it's not like that. It's something that is now known. So it's a bit like a gift on Christmas Day. You see the outline of it. You can prod it. You can shake it. But on Christmas Day, you open it up and you realize what it is. And there's that sense that we're on Christmas Day in the New Testament and get to see what this mystery is. And Paul says that actually it's about Christ and the church. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying this marriage in Genesis 2 is actually fundamentally about Christ and the church. That was the thing hidden. Now it's been revealed. So it's not like the Apostle Paul's writing the book of Ephesians one day, and he thinks to himself, I need to come up with a really good illustration of how husbands should treat wives, do you know what? I'll go to how much Christ loves the church. It's not that way round. Rather, he says, no, this ultimate satisfaction of this aloneness that you and me feel 
is found in Christ and the church. And human marriage is an echo of that relationship. I'll say that again because I think that's the point I'm trying to drive home, that actually the fundamental relationship that creation is about is that relationship between Christ and the church. And human marriages are an echo uh, of that relationship. So when we get to that first marriage in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, that isn't really about kind of satisfying Adam's aloneness in a whole sense. Actually, that is a preview of what Adam really needs, which is union with Christ. But we can go on. Let's go on to Revelation chapter 21. And if someone could read, the, uh, let's have page number first. One, two, four, nine. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the oh, first... hang on. Sorry, I haven't told you what to read yet. But... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you could guess. You're a step ahead of me. Um, sorry, just give us a second. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to read. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Up to verse three, please. Thank you. Up to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Thank you very much. So, um, this is a slightly peculiar passage to read, um, and the best way I've heard uh, this type of literature described is it's more like a surrealist painting rather than a kind of um, kind of Michelangelo. It's a more kind of Dali, kind of a bit bit crazy. Um, so we're kind of in picture language here, uh, which is why you know when it says the sea passed away. You know, if you're a surfer or you like the seaside, you don't need to fret. Uh, it's not that there's no sea in heaven, but sea was a kind of symbol of chaos. And actually, here's a renewal of um, creation. Uh, but hopefully, you'll start to... Why don't you actually do this? Turn to someone next to you and just see what sort of imagery are we seeing from Genesis and what we've seen in Ephesians uh, in verses 2 and 3. Just 30 seconds on that. Thank you. We're going to play Bible bingo. So, any anyone spot any symbols, uh, words that we've seen so far, just shout them out, and maybe you could just repeat them into the mic, Ellie. Thank you. Anyone see anything? Imagery, words, marriage, bingo. Yes, well done. Marriage. 
Anything else? Bride, yes. Living together, yes. Any more? Beautifully dressed. Oh, yes, I didn't, yes, yeah, that's true. Sorry, yeah, I hadn't spotted that. Well done, thank you, bonus mark. Yeah. So, hopefully, you can start to see, actually, this is rich in this kind of imagery uh, running from Genesis, uh, because it's shown us that actually right at the end of time, there's going to be another marriage, um, but this isn't a human marriage in the, in the sense that we're used to. It's a marriage between God and his people. And actually, just as we saw back in Genesis, there's diversity. God, we don't become God. God doesn't become us in that sense, but, but there's a joining. So just in the same way as a husband and wife join, uh, so God will join with his people. They will live together, and it will be forever. And there's, that, of course, that wonderful verse 4, that he will wipe each tear uh, from their eyes. So what we've done there is to skate across Scripture, and we've seen that actually, where, what was the problem right at the beginning? That Adam's alone. The answer to that is that uh, he would be joined, one flesh, and we see that in Eve. But actually, Paul picks up on that and says, no, there was something else there. There was something else we need. And we see the answer to that right at the end of time. Uh, as God connects himself to his people. So in other words, union with Christ is not just a kind of nice to have. It's not something you sort of study on a Wednesday just to be kind of, you know, extra sharp on uh, Christian doctrine. Actually, it's the whole point of what you and me are made for. Actually, to be alone, like Adam, God says, is not good. And that doesn't mean we all kind of have to rush to get married. That's not what it's saying at all. But actually, all of us do need that union with Christ and need to understand union with Christ if we're to understand what it means to be fully human. Also means it recognizes, doesn't it, that, that loneliness we instinctively feel. I'm sure even if we're married, there'll be days where we do feel that loneliness. We don't feel completely satisfied and if we're single, I'm sure there'll be those days where it's difficult not to be married or to be with someone. Uh, but whoever we are, married or single, actually, we've both got that deeper need and desire not to be alone. And that is only satisfied in Christ connecting himself to us. It's only satisfied in union with Christ. We're going to do a bit of application as we go through. Um, and here's one bit of application off the back of this. I think it's worth just remembering that when we go to weddings, because I don't know about you, but when you go to weddings, it kind of, you feel part of it, don't you? Uh, if you're married, it's a good opportunity to remind yourself of the wedding vows. If you're single, I guess sometimes it's quite hard to be at someone else's wedding. Of course you're pleased for them, but actually sometimes I guess there's a sense in which, why not me? Or perhaps we've come from marriages that have not been all that we hoped, and there's that sense of loss there. But actually, you know, whoever we are at a marriage, actually we can remember that that is pointed to this greater marriage between Christ and his church. And actually that longing we feel to be connected 
to not feel alone actually is only satisfied in Christ alone. So that's a bit of an introduction. We're going to come back in session two and think more about this. But what have we seen? We've seen that union with Christ matters because, one, it's all over the New Testament, 600 times in Paul. Secondly, it's the hub that links all the blessings that are found in Christ all over the New Testament, and we're going to come back and think more about those. But thirdly, it is what we're made for. The whole of creation is built into this point where God joins himself uh, to his people forever. Now, I wonder if um, we could take a couple of questions, Woody, at that point, and uh, then we'll go into groups. How are we doing on the questions? Yep. Two questions. Uh, three questions have come through. Um, hopefully, you found the pigeonhole link either at the bottom or the QR code uh, on your handouts. Um, should we do them as we went through the passages? Yep. So, looking into Genesis 2, thinking about Ad- not good for Adam to be alone. Why wasn't Adam's relationship with God sufficient by itself? Um, uh, I, I wonder when that question was asked. <laughs> because uh, there, there's something cryptic here. It's not good, and that really jars when we've got the creation narrative of it, God saw and it was good. So there's something, even though God's with Adam, there's something that's not good there. And um, I want to acknowledge that. But I do also want to say that actually um, that Adam's relationship with God or humans, uh, our relationship with God is sufficient by itself. Um, does that make sense? So help me out if, um, if, if that doesn't regurgitate what I've said. And <laughs> so there's, there's still an incompleteness in exactly. terms of the need for relationship yes. that can be found humanly yes. that actually helps as we go into the New Testament points us to our relationship, or in this uh, context, our union with Christ. Brilliant. What he said. Thank you. Yes. Yeah? Thank you. Yes, great. Thank you. (sighs) (laughs) Um, I'll leave one of the questions, because I think we'll come to it later, application of how we experience it. Um, Any others you fancy? What, what part does marriage play in the overall picture? Yeah. So I think just to reiterate, as I say, it's not that Paul sits down and thinks, I've got to come up with a picture of Christ and the church. I know I'll pick marriage. He's saying, no, actually, this, all the creation is about Christ and the church, and actually marriage is a kind of pointer to that. So marriage is um, like a hyper... This sounds really unromantic, doesn't it? Marriage is like a hyperlink taken us through. <laughs> I know if you're into computers, that was exciting. But um, marriage is like a hyperlink directing us to the, the greater marriage, uh, which is why I said about when we're in human marriages, actually, that's the, that's the thing we want to look through to. I've no idea if that answered the question. That's but... helpful. No, that's good. Um, should we leave the rest for that? If you've got a specific, I think Ephesians 5.29 is more of a kind of looking directly at the passage and working out what's going on in that. So if you wanted to ask Rob if that's your question, come and grab him in the break. Um, Just looking at time, should we pause there?
Okay. Let me bring us back in there. We're going to get going with our second session. So why don't I pray for us as we come back into thinking about union with Christ and I'll then hand over to Rob. Father God, thank you for what we've seen so far about the reality of our union with Christ. Thank you that as we see um, the Bible story through Genesis, Ephesians, Revelation, uh, we see the significance of it, the point of what we have been made for, for relationship with and union with Christ. Please help us now as we think about, the, about why this matters for us and how this impacts our lives. Uh, give us energy to keep going and keep informing and transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome back, everyone. Thank you for bearing with us, and um, we're going to go into our second session. Hopefully, you're starting to see that actually this is a fairly big deal. Um, We saw, didn't we, that actually it pops up all over the place, so 600 times. We saw that actually it's the spokes, uh, sorry, it's the hub on which the spokes of what it means to be a Christian come off of. And we saw actually that from Genesis to Revelation that actually the whole of our being and our creation is for this union uh, with God himself in Christ. Um, But someone's asked a question here, how do we experience stroke practice union with Christ day by day? Um, That's a good question. In fact, it's the question we're going to be answering in this next session. So thank you for planting that, uh, whoever did that. uh, It wasn't a plant question. Anyway, sorry, bad joke. Um, But uh, we're going to be thinking about how we experience union with Christ day by day. In, in, in what sense does this make a difference when I get up tomorrow uh, on Thursday? What does it mean to be united with Christ? Now, when I was a young Christian, I think I understood uh, that Jesus had died to save me from my sins. Uh, but I think looking back, I had something of a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card view of Jesus. Um, everyone's familiar with the game Monopoly, aren't we? Uh, get out of jail free card. Uh, you get it, and you put it to one side. And the moment you're put in jail by, is it a community chest? Or you run out of money, end up in debtor's prison. You whip out your get out of free jail card, and you move over to the just visiting box, and you carry on the game. And um, I think, in hindsight, I had a bit of a get out of jail free card view of what the gospel was that actually God was holy, I'm not, God was going to judge me for my sin, and that meant I was guilty, but God had provided Jesus to step in, take the punishment for me, and therefore I was free. Uh, And that was kind of how I understood the gospel. Now, just buzz in groups of two or three, just think to yourself, what's right about that, and what might be lacking? What's right about that and what might be lacking? Just twos and threes for a couple of seconds. Wow, everyone's very good, aren't they? We're all going quiet after 30 seconds. Uh, Perfect. 
Um, so God is holy. I'm not. God will judge sin. I'm guilty. Jesus has paid for my sin. I trust him and I'm free. Um, what's right about that? Anyone happy to kick us off? What's good about that? Hopefully something. Yeah, over here. Let's just wait for the mic. Well, I'm on question time. So, uh, Man in the blue, blue shirt. Um, <laughs> I like the shirt. Um, so I think it's like right because it's the first step in yep. the plan that is salvation, but it's not just about being saved from something, it's being saved for something. Oh, we're getting ahead of it, but that's good. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes, yeah, so it's saved from something. We forget we're, yeah, thank you. Well, it's all right as far as it goes. Why? But what's missing is repentance. Oh, we're just on what's right. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, repentance, did you say? Sorry, I'm, I forgot that, but yeah, we, we're including that. Thank you. Sorry, the trust in Jesus bit of repentance. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else right about that? Must be something, surely. Uh, you are. It is right that we were once um, subject to the consequences of our sin, yep. and that after trusting in Jesus, we are no longer subject to those consequences. Yeah, we are yeah. Free from sin. yeah, yeah. So that's that's true and good. Yeah, thank you. And I guess just pushing that a bit more forward. Oh, go on, Rupert. You go in. Where it brings out the concept of substitution, yes. doesn't it? Um, which is right. Yeah. So it's the fact that Jesus is doing it. It's not. I sort of work my way up to God's standard and then I'm considered holy. It's not that I actually start coming to church, get confirmed, and then I'm right with God. Uh, but actually, Jesus is the solution. Okay, um, what might be lacking in that kind of picture? I mean, it's kind of pejoratively, I've called it a get-out-of-free-jail free card. Uh, so what might be lacking? What's the problem with that kind of view? Over here, maybe? Oh, Jill, sorry. We'll get the mic over to you for our friends on Zoom. Thank you. Oh, sorry, Jill first, and then... Sorry. You go, Mike. That's fine. That's fine. Sorry. Well, it's um, a get-out-of-jail-free card is a one-off. Yes. But this is a continuous process. Yes, yes. So it's a one-off. Use it once. Yeah, you were going to say the same thing? Yeah, use it once, yeah. There's no personal relationship. No. It's hard to have a personal relationship with a card, isn't it? Or even, even, I guess, yeah, the subtlety of it is you might, you might love Jesus for what he's done, and you might be really fond of that and thankful for that, but there, there's no necessary need to, to love him for who he is, his character, what he gives you. So, yes. So, there's, there's, some of it's right, but... But actually, you're right, there's something lacking there. Yeah. Uh, we've got Jill on roof, maybe. We, we're not free. We're bought with a price and we're owned by Jesus. Yes. So, you, yes, once you've used the card, it's gone, you move on. Or even when you're waiting to use the card, um, so, you know, might think this gets me out into heaven in the future, I kind of sit here ticking along until that day comes. Yes. But actually, Ruth, you're hinting that there's some sort of connection, some sort of union, you might say, 
uh, that changes things. Yes, and Jill at the front here. I was just following your analogy of the get out of jail card. When somebody comes out of jail, they are at liberty, but they don't know what to do and they don't know how to live. Hmm. So it's about learning how to live in the liberty. Yeah, yeah. So I think someone said saved for, we haven't asked saved for what. Yeah, that point that actually, okay, I may be free from my sin. What does that now mean for life? Alex. Um, that gospel explanation was true, but they're abstract concepts as opposed to a personal God in Christ. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, not emphasize actually there's a person at the center of this and there's a God with a personality at the center. Yes. So, yeah, I think just a, I think that's all really good stuff. I think, I mean, my hunch is that a lot of evangelicals get this first part right and you know I want to celebrate that I want to celebrate that we see that Christ is a full solution and I do honestly believe I was a Christian the moment I kind of believed that Uh, but actually it can lead to quite a few things in the Christian life if that's where we stay uh, we can find that we're a bit bored you know we're waiting for heaven what do we do now we're waiting to use the card as someone said we don't love the card there's no kind of personal relationship with the card it's a it's a mechanism potentially impersonal, um, that Jesus does, does, does this job for me, but apart from that, I don't know him. And then it's only really got one purpose. So Jesus comes in, deals with my sin, but everything else is up to me or others uh, to work out. And I think really the big problem with that, as I was setting the roof up to say this, is that actually union with Christ doesn't feature Actually, Jesus is kind of off to one side. He's impersonal, and he's only got one use. Uh, But actually, as we look at the New Testament, we see that actually the Christian life is far from that picture. I wonder if we could turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Give us a page number when we get there. And if someone... Sorry, that was quick. 180. Wow. Are you reading ahead? Oh, yes, you are. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's on the sheets. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, what was the number again after all that? 1180. And if someone brave could read that for us. Thank you. But whatever was to Oh, my... hi, Sam. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Evening. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Nice to see you. Welcome. <laughs> I just snuck out the back. Yeah. Right. Uh, 3 verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Thank you very much. So notice here, it's not less than Jesus forgives me for my sins. So verse 9, not having a righteousness or a right standing of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So it is fundamentally about faith in Christ uh, because he 
is my righteousness. It's not from me, it's from Him, which is wonderful. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? Because He says, I consider everything a loss, talking about His Jewish heritage, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for my sake uh, I have lost all things. So Paul says, no, actually the whole purpose of what it means to be redeemed, to be forgiven, is to spend his life now and for eternity knowing this Christ who saved him. So the whole, if you like, the whole of the Christian life really is about um, a bit like a sort of oil rig, kind of um, exploring the depths of what lies under the ground. You know, becoming a Christian is just tapping into the surface, but there's a whole kind of reservoir of things. I mean, thinking of it as oil might not be helpful, but you kind of get a picture of, of, of exploring what it means to know Christ. See, the whole of our lives should be about knowing Him. Um, there's a guy called uh, John uh, Murray who wrote an excellent book called Redemption Accomplished and Applied, and uh, he writes at the top of your sheets there, Nothing is more central or basic than union. Sorry, I'll let you turn over first. Yeah. And notice this is a book on redemption. So what we were talking about, uh, about what it means to become a Christian. But he says this, nothing is more central or basic than union and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is really the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation not only in its application, but also in its once-for-all accomplishment in the finished work of Christ. So, pretty significant. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, that's not the bit of the Christian life I talk about. Um, we all have a kind of models, don't we, of what it means to become a Christian, and you know, it's good to have a kind of simplified version of those. We don't want to overcomplicate things. We don't need to say everything all the time. But actually, how much do I speak about what it means to be in relationship with God. Or when I think of what my life is like Monday to Saturday, how much am I thinking actually those days are spent knowing Christ and knowing Him in an even greater way? Or, you know, to uh, borrow Graham's phrase, how much do I think not only of what I'm saved from, but what I'm saved for, which is to know Christ and to enjoy Him and who He is? So, as a church, I think that means that we are in the business of telling people about Jesus, of course, but we're really wanting to bring people into relationship with him. Of course, they've got to understand why he came, but it's so much more than just uh, letting us out of jail free. It's to embrace us and to help us to know him. But we've still got to ask that question, what difference does that make? What difference does that make on a Thursday as I think uh, about union with Christ? Okay, I know it's more than just that I'm forgiven, uh, but what difference does it make in the office uh, to the way I think of myself? And to do that, we're going to, I'm going to kick it off, uh, I'm going to kick it back to you guys in groups. What we've got there is a list of uh, a few Bible passages, or some from John, some from Ephesians. And um, what I'm going to suggest is you go into groups Pick one of those, but don't all start at the beginning. But don't all start at the end either. And don't think, oh, everyone's going to start at the end and the beginning, so I'll start in the middle. So, <laughs> hopefully, 
we'll get them all covered between us. But break into groups. See if you can do at least one, uh, maybe two in time. But I'll give, us, I'll give us a good chunk of time on this. Think to yourself, what's the picture being given here? And how does that help me understand union with Christ? What's the picture and how does that help me understand union with Christ? Thank you. Let's, uh, let's come back together there. And um, I wonder if we could just very briefly just uh, share some of that. So we had a picture in Ephesians chapter 2. Anyone want to tell us what that is? And Aaron's going to draw it for us. So be kind to him. A building. Brilliant. Thank you. And just someone on the mic, if, um, Ellie, if you grab the mic, just someone tell us how that building is being used. As a, what's it telling us? Um, the spirit lives in there, it dwells in the city. In the building, yes, yes, the spirit's in the building. Um, and how does that kind of help us understand union with Christ? Christ is the cornerstone of that building, he so he's very much part yes. of it, key to it. Yes, so there's a challenge for you, Aaron. Christ is the cornerstone. In fact, we shouldn't have put it up. Sorry? Let's, uh, let's not do that. Let's, uh, let's be suitably reverent uh, with these pictures. And um, we are the bricks, so we're part of building, cornerstone being the most important stone uh, of a building. Yes, thank you. Um, Ephesians 4, anyone tackle that? Body, yes. Oh, this will be fun. Oh, Rob's... Oh, no, that's cheating. He's using an illustrator. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's a cornerstone, I see. Not a person. Okay, (laughs) thank you. Um, A body, and how's that picture being used? Christ is the head. Where are we? The members of the body, yes, yes. Um, So let's have a body. And then anyone do John 15? Vine, yes. With the branches. Where's where's Jesus? Jesus is the vine. He is the vine, yes. Thank you. So you can see, can't you, these are really, uh, you know, the deepest pictures of connection you could possibly come up with. Um, You know, if I remove my head, um, this seminar starts to uh, finish very quickly. Uh, (laughs) If you remove the cornerstone of a building, uh, the building uh, will be finished very quickly. 
And um, the vine, uh, I don't know much about vines, but I understand uh, if you don't have the vine, the branches will shrivel up, and I think Jesus tells us that. So these are pictures, a bit like, um, I've put a picture of a diamond there, just to illustrate what one is, in case you didn't know. Uh, a diamond, you know, the, the wonderful thing about a diamond is you can twist it around and just see wonderful colors and different facets uh, of the diamond. It's one diamond, but there's different pictures of it. And it's a bit like that for union with Christ. Actually, as you look across the New Testament, you see all these wonderful pictures of what it means to be connected uh, to Christ. Um, but my favorite's John 17, and uh, hopefully we'll see why when I get there. John 17, anyone do that with us, for us? Or did you, none of us start at the end thinking that everyone's gone to the beginning? Alex. We had a quick look. We only had a minute Thank left. You. Um, it's pretty massive stuff because Jesus says that all believers, whether it's the apostles there or those that hear their message, are united to one another. But not only that, that he is united to each and every one of them. And each and every one of them is loved with the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. So it's quite big stuff. It is very big stuff. Can you just show us where you, you got that last point? The last point? What was the last point? That uh, his love for us is the same as the Father's love for the Son. Uh, verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hmm. So absolutely remarkable, isn't it? You know, Think of God the Father declaring, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Actually, he declares that over us. Here are my children with whom I am well pleased because they're in Christ. Uh, think of uh, God's, uh, Jesus' relationship with his Father as he prays, as he seeks his will. That's an illustration of how tight a connection there is uh, between us and God. And of course, you know, the, the words Father and Son are important because actually they speak of a, of a relationship rather than just a kind of functional uh, agreement. Uh, fathers and sons, I, I realize it's not always a happy subject for some of us when we speak about fathers. Uh, lots of us won't have had fathers that are good examples. Some of us will long for fathers uh, that could have been better examples. Uh, but where we see good fathers, we see a, a faint echo of what it means for God the Father to be pleased with his son. Uh, I'm not a, a brilliant example of, of a father. Uh, I do lots of things wrong. But I, I do know my son always feels he's got complete permission to jump on my back as soon as I walk in the front door. <laughs> in fact, he did it tonight. He hits me. He jumps on my back. Uh, not, sorry, violently, but with affection, so I think. Um, and it's just remarkable. I could, you know, be speaking to hundreds of people. As soon as I walk through the door, I'm just daddy and I get jumped on by both my sons, and my daughter then follows uh, afterwards. Uh, so it's just a wonderful picture. I, I love those sort of moments as that happens. And that is a mere, mere, mere echo of the father's commitment to his son. And that picture, Jesus says, bottle that picture, and that is a picture of God's commitment to you and me in Christ. So remarkable pictures. Oh, thank you for drawing that. I did say don't draw God, uh, but that final picture is the Godhead. 
uh, the father and the son. Great little picture, that. Uh, but building body, vine, and uh, father and son. So if you're looking for a definition of what it means to be united with Christ, uh, this one is um, given by this guy, uh, Burkhoff, who says, it is an intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people. It's intimate. It's not a jail, get out of jail free card. It's a personal, close relationship. It's vital. It's not just some sort of sub doctrine. It is the overriding doctrine that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And it's spiritual. Jesus is not stapled to our side, He lives with us by His Spirit. So it's an intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people. Now, you might think to yourself, why did we not sort of just start with that definition and work through some of the implications of that? Why did we go to these pictures? And the answer to that is because I think pictures really determine how we live. Um, Aristotle, an ancient philosopher, says this, a soul never thinks uh, without an image. You know, if I say to you the word keys, what sort of image pops into your head? Swimming pool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For every... Is that, did I get that right? No, no, sorry. Well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay. Okay. For 99.9% of people... I guess something like a bunch of tools that you used to open doors with <laughs> comes into your head. Uh, that is that's amazing. Uh, window, you know what pops into your head? The windows at home, stained glass. Let's. Uh, <laughs> so physical objects, but also kind of abstract objects. If I said to you the word uh, brave, what pops into your head? Sorry. Oh, brave. Oh, sorry. Right. I'm totally out of touch. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Maybe, maybe this is not helpful at all. But I. <laughs> love. Don't answer it. Love. Abstract ideas. Uh, what else did I have? That's it. Bravery. Um, you know, you, as soon as I say those words, whether they're abstract or physical, for most people, uh, an image pops into the head. And actually, you know, even words like God or words like God's forgiveness or God the Father or God the Son or, can, or even thinking, who am I? What's, what's me? And so it's important that when we think of those concepts, actually, we want to have the images uh, that Scripture's given us for those. I wonder... I think in the West, it's very easy for us to think, actually, everything starts with me, and then everyone else is in kind of concentric circles around me. So there's the people around me immediately now, there's friends, there's family on the uh, further out, and there's uh, other people in different places in the country, and then there's God somewhere on some outer ring. Uh, or we tend to think uh, of ourselves as kind of isolated from everyone else. But actually, the Bible... Uh, gets us to use a different image. How many of us wake up on a Thursday and think, I'm like a vine. I'm connected to Christ. Or when you look in the mirror to um, do whatever you do, sort of look at all the wrinkles and 
which I'm starting to do now. Uh, how, how often do you think, actually, I'm connected, my being is part of Christ's body? Or actually, as you see a photo of a group of you and you look for yourself in the photo, whether you've got your eyes open or not, uh, how often do you look at that photo and think, there's me, a bit of the building of Christ uh, with him as the cornerstone? So what I'd love us to do, rather than give you a load of do's and don'ts and kind of here's 10 steps to you know, getting better at union with Christ, is to almost get you to daydream about some of these images that Scripture gives us and every time we think, what's me, what's God, what's God the Father, all those sort of things, we're thinking vine, house, the Godhead. Uh, and actually, we think that as we think about those things more, actually, we will find that actually um, lots of things in the Christian life will uh, fall into place. Here's a couple of little things that I think might immediately spill out. Uh, first of all, identity. So identity is a big issue in our day-to-day, isn't it? Uh, who are we? Um, there's obviously uh, the identity politics that people talk about. You know, some would say we're in a cultural war, debating uh, who we are, what a person is, what a man, woman is. Uh, and I'm not going to get into that, but, but just recognizing that that's a big uh, debate. And there's a real kind of irony, I think, at the center of all those things, because we boast at how much we can define our own identity and define ourselves without reference to anyone else. But actually, I think we're most, it's the most kind of lost generation in terms of their identity. As much as we declare we're free to, to find our own identity, actually, we find that actually people are more confused than ever. Um, one philosopher put it this way, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Anyone spot where that's from? Frozen, Queen Elsa. (laughs) It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. But there's an irony, because what's she doing as she's singing that? She's locking herself in an ice castle, so my daughter tells me. <laughs> you know, I'm free, no rules, but actually I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm trapped by my own castle. And actually, union with Christ turns that on its head, doesn't it? Because it doesn't say we'd have to search around for our identity uh, from what people say around us, from social media... Uh, from what our parents might have said, from what our culture might say, but actually we start from that identity in Christ and everything flows out of that. Uh, The first thing I should say about who I am is I'm not a vicar first, but I'm a Christian and I'm in Christ first uh, and everything flows from that. Secondly, I think on purpose. Um, Purpose is a big thing as well, isn't it? Uh, We all want to live for something. We've all got our dreams. If only I had this, then I will feel happy. If only I achieve this in five years' time, then I can do X, Y, and Z. And actually, this, again, turns it on its head, doesn't it? Because actually, uh, everything is about knowing Christ and drilling down into that kind of oil well of who we are in Him. And so whatever purpose we might have, and some of those things are are fine, but actually it's not, as Paul says, nothing compared 
to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord. So everything, uh, whether I'm planning to buy houses, going on holiday, family plans, all those sorts of things, actually, they, the far bigger thing is that they come off this purpose of exploring who we are with Christ. And of course, others. Um, we might come back to this uh, in future weeks, but actually, if we're connected to Christ, actually, those images are not just me and Jesus, they're me and everyone else in Christ with him. So uh, Christ is the cornerstone, I'm a brick, but actually uh, one brick on a cornerstone is a, you know, not a very good building, there's lots of other bricks, and in the nicest possible way, you lot are bricks, uh, you know, and we're all connected to one building. Uh, or a body is not just a head and an arm, um, but actually it's got lots of different members and the vine, more than one branch. So actually, the moment I'm connected to Christ, actually I'm connected to you and you're connected to me. Uh, and that's why Christians call each other brother and sister. It's not just a kind of fun little phrase. Actually, it means something. It means we're one family. It means that when you're down and I'm up, that I can help you, or when I'm up and you're down, uh, you can help me and we're uh, one. So um, I want to finish, uh, we're finished with uh, going into groups again, but uh, I want to finish with the Heidelberg Catechism, which um, probably isn't on the kind of bestseller list anymore, but really should be, because it's fantastic. It goes through um, lots of different questions. It's a kind of, um, kind of ex- exploration of what the Christian life is about, and it, it does it in question and answer form. And it puts it this way. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? We're going to have a look at some of the questions that have come in on Pigeonhole and try and get through as many as we can. We've got about five minutes to have a look at some of these. So um, let's have a look. First one then, most voted one, is the word Christian then, does that come from being in Christ or something else or both and? Yeah, it's... it's um uh, it's something else slightly. It pops up three times in the New Testament, and I think people around the early church were trying to come up with a name of what these people are, and they came up with this kind of, it's a Latin word, Christian. And it's a bit like the kind of, you know, if you say Blairite or Thatcherite, someone associated, that may not be helpful connotations politically, <laughs> but someone associated with that person. So we're saying, here's, here's Christ people. Christies or something like that. It's that kind of idea. Um, so it, it does, it does, it's slightly different to the phrase in Christ, but it does encapsulate. You're associated with him, but actually in Christ is so much more uh, in terms of the benefits and things. Great. Thank you. Um, great questions come up talking about the kind of corporate versus individ- individualistic nature of it. So in the section nature of union, all the verses listed speak of a corporate union with Christ, Christians plural, rather than an individual individualistic understanding of my singular union with Christ. Yeah, so hopefully we 
we dealt with that at the end of last session. Yeah, this is one of the unhelpful things about the English language that you, Woody, and you, St. Mary's, uh, are actually the same word, even though they've got a different audience. And if you've studied any other language, you'll know there's often two different words for you lot and you, singular. Um, and more, more often than not, it's you lot or you all, I think is a... Is that an American thing, Christy? Yeah, you all. Yeah, that kind of idea. So, um, yeah, it's worth just having that in the back of your mind, actually, when you come to these passages, because actually it, it, Paul's often saying to you group, so you, brothers and sisters, are these things. So, yeah, that's a helpful corrective on the kind of individualistic, my Jesus, uh, I'm on my own, and actually I'm brought into this family, this building, this body of, with others. And I guess a good challenge, a big generalisation, but to us in the West, that we can think much more individualistically yes. about our faith, yeah. me and Jesus. Yeah. Whereas you go to other parts of the country and they're very much the corporate us yeah, and absolutely. Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. so, healthy challenge. Yeah, and the New Testament probably gets you to think more corporate individual rather than individual corporate. Yeah. Great. Um, thinking then practically, this question um, applies to a young person but can probably be applied to more than just young people. How might we use this understanding of being united with Christ to help a young person who is determined to express their independence by defining their identity without reference to God? Thank you. Yeah, and you're, you're right to say that, thank you, it seems to be a question about a young person, but actually I think it's something we're all wrestling with, even Christians. Um, I think it is worth helping people to push their thinking down the track to the consequences. So if I'm getting my identity from what I can make myself, how much is enough? So if I think I'm going to be a a fabulous sports star or I'm going to be a successful business person or I'm going to be, you know, really built and people are going to love me, uh, how much weight is enough weight? How much money is enough success? How much, what was the first thing, sports? You know, how high do I have to get? Uh, before I'm successful. Um, And the same goes for if I get my identity from other people. So, um, you know, if other people tell me I'm X, Y, and Z, how much uh, do I have to do to be those things? And you can find out, actually, a lot of these things, they sound good on the surface, but push the thinking further, actually you find that you're enslaved to those things. So I grew up really pretty aspirational, thinking I just want to be prime minister and anything short of that is going to be failure and actually i know you laugh because it's ridiculous it is um but also it was enslaving because i thought actually everything else was was towards that goal and actually life wasn't great i was pretty miserable myself and pretty miserable to everyone else who got in my way and anyone who was alongside me was a threat not a brother or sister uh, but actually seeing what it means to be in with christ seeing his character seeing what he's like, and then working out is not slavery, it's true freedom. Yeah. And in simple terms, coming back to our creator, he's created us. He gives us a wonderful identity. Oh, yeah, he knows what he's doing as well. Yes, yeah, thank (laughs) you. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them 
and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, thank you so much for all that Christ has done for us on the cross, that we can know and enjoy forgiveness and we can know and enjoy relationship and be found in Christ. May we know that each and every day and may we be able to show a watching world the joy that that brings so they may see the wonderful love that you have for us, your creation. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.